Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through Ephesians, and in the previous message I was in Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 2, Paul was speaking about the Ephesians, those who were, for the most part, they were living in accordance with the indulgence of the flesh. In verse 3, he was referring to himself, those who were recognized as Jews, who were living for the restraint of the flesh. And so between verse 2 and verse 3, he covered everybody in order to show that there was no one who was living in obedience to God. There was no one who was holy and that everyone has a need for the mercy of God. And so in verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ By grace you have been saved. And so Paul focuses on the importance of recognizing that the objective of God is not to figure out how to get people's flesh under control. The objective of God has to do with making people spiritually alive. Now, being made spiritually alive is salvation. That is the definition of salvation in accordance with the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins to resolve the sin issue between us and God. And he did that so that he could restore to us the Holy Spirit that was lost in Adam so that we can be made spiritually alive. And with the sin issue being completely resolved between God and humanity, there would then be no sin left unforgiven that would cause the Holy Spirit to depart from within us ever again. So we then, by definition, we have a life dwelling within us. We have been made spiritually alive eternally. There is no way that we can be killed again through sin because all sin has been forgiven. Unfortunately, what most people are doing within the Christian world is they are trying to keep sin alive. They're trying to keep the sin issue alive, and there are, of course, many reasons as to why people do not want to rest in the complete forgiveness of sins, or they don't want other people to rest in the complete forgiveness of sins. Lots of reasons. But regardless of what those reasons are, which of course does have importance, but regardless of what those reasons are, a person still has to decide, are they going to believe that the sin issue has been resolved, Or are they not? And what I'm saying is, is that it is necessary to believe that in order to be made spiritually alive on a permanent basis. Otherwise, the next time you sin in accordance with the law of sin and death, you're going to die. And then what? Now, at the end of the previous message, I was explaining that the limit that most people will reach when it comes to the pursuit of God or the knowledge of God or understanding the scriptures, the limit that people usually reach is the limit of, I am waiting to go to heaven. I have been saved in some way, and now I'm going to wait until I die and go to heaven. That for the most part, that tends to be the limit 
of the Christian, of the Christian life. That it's all about how are we going to get people out of hell and into heaven. And the mercy of God is only recognized as an expression of God such that we can go to heaven. The love of God is only understood in the context of he has given us salvation. And the grace of God is only to the extent or the limit of salvation. And for the rest of the Christian life, well, the love and the grace and the mercy of God is expressed, supposedly, as God giving us the law. That he's going to give us the law to live by We now have the definition of good and evil. God was gracious enough to give us his standards, his principles for daily living, his way of life for us. He was gracious in giving us the law. He was merciful by giving us the law. He loves us so much that he's given us the law. And while most people in the Christian world will not say it in that way, I'm saying it that way because I don't want to waste a lot of time talking around the issue. This is what people effectively teach. They won't say it this way because if they said it this way, it would be obviously wrong because it would be inconsistent with the other things that Paul had to say in the scriptures. And so they say it in other ways. They say it in creative ways. They say it indirectly. They say it in an open-ended manner. But the end result is still the same. The grace of God is expressed when you get saved and that's it. The mercy of God is to get you saved. The love of God is to get you saved. And then you can go to heaven when you're dead. But between now and then, you are to get your flesh under control. And the way that they do that is they keep the subject of sin alive. They tell you that God still holds your sins against you. He is gracious to give you salvation. He's merciful to give you salvation. He loves you enough that he'll save you. But you need to get your flesh under control. And of course, because no one never will get their flesh under control, they will never know what it means to experience the mercy of God in their daily life the love of God in their daily life, and the grace of God in their daily life. They will have no concept of what that means outside of getting you out of hell and into heaven, and that's it. But that is not it. There is so much more to explore and to discover and to know concerning the grace and the mercy and the love of God. This has to do with then growing to know your God as a person. But when you do not know him as a person in your daily life in this context then you simply don't know your God. Now, you may very well make it into heaven. Good for you. And I would like to encourage that. And, of course, I want to say that here in Ephesians chapter 2, that's mainly the subject that Paul is presenting. But this is not all that he has to say. He is presenting that here to the Ephesians in order to enforce the issue of what salvation is. But that is definitely not all there is to say. And I'm taking the time right now to explain to you that there is much more than just getting you out of hell and into heaven. There is also the issue of how to get God out of heaven and into you. When God created Adam and Eve, when he created humanity to begin with, he created us in a way that we would only function in the divine way that he designed us. We would only be able to function in that way if he dwells within us. 
if His Spirit is within us. It's not just about how do we get people out of hell and into heaven. The issue is how does God get Himself out of heaven and into us and so that He can live with us personally and intimately and enable us to live in the divine way that he created us to live. And that has to do with living our daily lives with the love and the acceptance and the grace and mercy that we already have. Instead, when people try to keep sin alive, you don't have those things by default. And so the Christian life becomes a life of trying to obtain the grace and mercy and love and forgiveness of God, which is what most people are living by, if they even really believe in that at all. I have discovered that a lot of people who identify themselves as Christians, they are people who are in a congregation, they are people who lead congregations, they don't necessarily have deep convictions about this at all. They identify themselves as a Christian for other reasons outside of knowing their God. So when I speak a lot about the importance of knowing our God, There are very few people who really have a genuine interest in that anyway. But regardless of how many there may be, there will always be some, and this, of course, is greater than none. So going back to Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 5, where it says, Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And then in verse 6, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, in verse 6, Paul refers to the hierarchy of persons who are a part of the universe. And what this is, is this is some repetition from the end of chapter 1. At the end of chapter 1, I'm going to begin in verse 19 where Paul said, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Again, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places In Christ Jesus. This is repetition from Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20 with regards to the heavenly places. And this hierarchy that he's referring to is between us and the angels. And in this case, he's referring to the fallen angels from verse 21. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age, but also in that which is to come, that he has elevated us or he has placed us, raised us up together with him and made us sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus above all principality and power and might and dominion. How did he do this? What does this mean? How is this represented? This is in the context of Him making us spiritually alive. When we have been made spiritually alive through the complete forgiveness of sins, there is no way that we can ever be killed ever again. There is no way that the Holy Spirit will ever depart from within us ever again because there is no sin that will ever be held against us. Even though within the Christian world, for the most part, 
what people are doing is promoting the idea that God still holds your sins against you. But he doesn't. And he doesn't because it's necessary for him not to, so that he can remain within us, which is salvation. And him remaining within us means that he's going to live with us during our daily lives, as long as we are physically alive, and we will have a place with him in the kingdom of heaven Once we physically die, because we are alive, we will be able to dwell in the place of the living. But this hierarchy is established because the devil and the demons cannot be a part of our lives in a way that they can deceive us or manipulate us or lie to us in a way that we will be able to do something so that we will become spiritually dead. So we are now living creations who have been placed above the demons because the demons will not have a place in the kingdom of heaven, but we will. We can never lose the life that we have in Christ Jesus. We will never be made spiritually dead ever again. And so that is how we are placed above the demonic powers or the principalities and powers, the mights and dominions that are referred to at the end of chapter 1. Again, in chapter 2, verse 6, you have been raised in the sense that you have been resurrected and you have been made in such a way that you will now sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, with Christ Jesus, and there is no stopping that. There is no keeping that from taking place that will take place in the future. Going on into verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So what he's speaking about is the time period after we enter into the kingdom of heaven. But this is still something that we can experience right now, that it doesn't mean that we are not going to experience this in this age right now. In verse 7, he does speak about the ages to come, but we still have this age right now. And through what he has done for us, he has revealed the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness. Because we have been saved because he has been gracious and kind. Not because we have done something or haven't done something that would give us a place because we have earned it or because we deserve it or because we're better than somebody else. It is all about his grace and mercy that he has given himself to people who want to know who he is. When talking about salvation, it is, of course, important for a person to recognize that they have a need for his grace and mercy. And so we can speak about people's sin. We can say, well, you know, you're not so good. You have a need for forgiveness. You may have been trying to live a life for the restraint of your flesh even. You may have been fully devoted to the Mosaic law as an example, or any law that you can define. Any law of any church, for example, can be used in the same way to say that you have failed, you really do need the grace and mercy of God. Well, who is going to receive the grace and mercy of God? Somebody who wants the grace and mercy of God. And why would a person want the grace and mercy of God? Because they're trying to avoid going to hell? Well, you know, that happens, and that's a reasonable start. 
That's a good start, but that's not the only reason why God will save a person, not just to help them get out of hell and into heaven, but he's looking for a certain kind of person, the kind of person who wants to be in his life, who wants to know their God. That's the kind of person who God will decide to dwell within. Now, he's the one who makes these ultimate decisions, and from what I can tell, he is a wise person. He knows enough about individuals within humanity that he can make a good decision with regards to who he's going to save. I don't think he's going to save somebody who just wants to get out of hell and into heaven and not really know their God. I don't think he's going to do that, but he's the one who will make those decisions, and I'm confident that whatever decision he makes will be the right one. But between now and then, I'm still going to press the issue that God is going to save those people who want to know him as a person, who want to know the grace of God, who want to know the kindness of God, who want to know him in the context of him being gracious and kind. And when you have humanity in such a desperate condition as we are in, people are born into this world spiritually dead, and we have no hope outside of the grace and mercy of God. When people recognize that they have no hope outside of the grace and mercy of God, well, then they are perfect candidates to receive the grace and mercy of God. And so when God saves a person in this context, then his grace and mercy and kindness is revealed. It is manifested. It is known today, right now and today, and then in eternity, when the ages to come arrive, You know, when we enter into the time period of the ages to come, referring to verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, because in the ages to come we will be there, and our presence there alone will be a way of people recognizing that God is kind, that he is gracious. You see, here's the evidence, here's the people. And he will continue to be kind and gracious towards the people who are there because he doesn't need to be otherwise. There would be no reason for him to relate to people in a different way. You see, when the flesh is gone, when the flesh dies, well, then living a life for the indulgence of the flesh is going to be quite difficult. And in the world to come, dwelling in the kingdom of heaven with God, the opportunities for the indulgence of the flesh, they just simply won't really be present. If they are, in some way, it's not going to be the same as we have here in this world, here and now. And for those who may find a way to indulge their flesh in an abstract context in the kingdom of heaven, I'm sure that that would be quite short-lived. It certainly wouldn't make any sense. And for what purpose and for what value? What would you hope to gain? We don't have enough information to know the dynamics of what the kingdom of heaven may be like in its totality in that sense, but it certainly is not going to be the same as what we have now, because the indulgence of the flesh that we have now has everything to do with the world that we are dwelling within right now. When that is gone, then that's gone, and this is going to happen really soon. So for those of you who are still preoccupied with your flesh and the issues of the flesh and the issues of sin, you don't have much more time to deal with those things. You do not have much more time to enjoy this struggle of your flesh. Your flesh is about to go. It's about to die. It's about to be separated from you. You are going to be separated from your flesh. 
you are going to enter into the kingdom of heaven as a spiritual being, and your flesh is going to go away, and it is going to be forgotten. The sins that you're dealing with right now are going to be forgotten. Now, I'm not saying that in order to suggest that we should just minimize the significance of sin. I don't want to do that. Or to say that we should not even bother avoiding sin. I'm not saying that either. I'm just trying to put everything in its proper context and in its proper order and in its proper priority. The priority for most people seems to be trying to get their flesh under control, whereas this is the time to grow to know your God as a person instead. But they can't even make it that far because what tends to happen is that a person can get saved. Well, that's great. They experience the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, the kindness of God because he saves them. And that's nice. But then you wait a week later and the next message that you receive, the next sermon that you get confronted with is one of you had better get your flesh under control or your God will reject you. He will not love you, accept you. He will not be kind to you. He will not be gracious and merciful. And so all of that just goes away. And so you become preoccupied with yourself and how you're going to get your flesh under control for the rest of your life, waiting for an age to come when these things will one day be known instead of living in the age right now where these things can be known right now. In verse 7, he speaks about the ages to come, but these are things that can be known today, can be known to you right now. The exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward you in Christ Jesus, that you may live with the riches that you have today, that you may live your life with all the riches that you have. Instead of trying to live your life hoping that maybe you'll get something like this, at some point before you physically die, maybe you can experience some sense of grace and kindness from him. No, that is something that you already have that has been demonstrated by the complete resolution of sin. So again, in verse 7, he speaks about the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, which is something that we can experience right now and today and will continue into eternity. After we physically die, we enter into the presence of God in the kingdom of heaven His grace and his kindness will continually be known forever. Now, in verse 8, he goes on and he speaks more about the issues related to salvation. And that what he has done for us is something that he has done because he has been kind and gracious and not because we have earned this relationship with him or we deserve this relationship with him. We have no claim on God or the salvation that he has given to us freely. And this is a real struggle for a lot of people. Sometimes it's because they really want to do something in order to earn their salvation. They really do want to have some kind of personal claim before God to be able to say, you know what, I am valuable, I am important because of what I have done. This is the subject of pride. And the two parts related to pride have to do with making a claim for what a person deserves or has earned or making a comparison with another in order to elevate oneself. And I will talk about this in the next message. 
You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.